Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Now, in the month of October, we're going to be going through the book of James. There's five chapters. There's five Sundays. And so each Sunday, we're going to be preaching from that chapter. Today, chapter one, I'm going to be talking about how to handle trials, go through the trials of life. And I believe that James has something to say to us, and, and I'm, I'm going to hear it. And, and starting today, every Sunday, we're going to read that chapter uh, for that week. And I'm asking Nancy to come and to greet you and also to read with you James chapter one. It'll be on the screen also. Good morning. It's so good to be in Houston. It's been a while since we've been here. And to see all the lovely faces, God bless you. Um, and also welcome, hi, to Friendswood and to League City. Isn't it wonderful that we can gather together at the same time in three different locations, and we know that our family, our Life Church family, is worshiping together, hearing the Word of God together, growing in God together. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like that is amazing. Sometimes technology isn't all that, but then sometimes it's just amazing, isn't it? So James has asked me to read the first chapter of James, and we're going to read it in the New King James Version. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its work. Sorry have its perfect work. So I'm going to try and get this perfect. Read the word, every word. Let's read verse four again. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits." Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Thank God for his word. There I go. I'm sorry. Aren't you thankful for the word of God? Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, I, I want to just talk for a minute about the book of James. Now, I'm going to preach about how do I deal with trials. Anybody ever gone through a trial in your life? Let me just see your hand if you've gone through a trial. I think pretty safe to say that we've all gone through trials. All of us have faced trials. And we're also going to face trials. That's just life. There are going to be things that come our way. And I want to preach about that today. Uh, but first, I just want to talk a little bit about James. James is the author of this book. He is the brother or the half-brother of Jesus. He is a product of Mary and Joseph's marriage. And we really learn a lot about James in the book of Acts chapter 12 and verse chapter 15, and also in the book of Galatians chapter 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was resurrected and the church began to grow, 
James became the leader of the church there in Jerusalem, became the pastor. And the church in Jerusalem was made up of Jewish Christians. Now, a lot of our readings and a lot of our lessons come from the writings of Paul. And Paul many times or most of the time was writing to the Gentile church. James is a pastor of the Jewish Christian church, and, and the letter really is written to Jewish Christians everywhere. So if you look at it through that lens of him talking to them about coming out of the tradition of Judaism, you have a little bit of understanding about what he was saying. The other thing we need to see about James is that as he pastors this church in Jerusalem, he is pastoring a church that goes through severe famine. If you look at history, uh, those first 70 years of uh, A.D. after the death of Christ, this is what we find, that Jerusalem went through a lot of famine. A lot of that was a part of the Roman occupation. They went through a lot of poverty. Uh, they were a rebellious people, and so the, the Roman Empire was constantly coming in and disciplining them and, and putting down uh, rebellions, and, and of course, incredible persecution. First of all, persecution from the other Jews who did not convert to Christianity, and then, of course, the persecution that came from the Romans. Ultimately, the Romans completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem in AD 70 and, and uh, just completely uh, obliterated the city. Uh, and, and for years, it sat without any type of walls or any type of help. And and so when, when we talk about what James is writing, I want you to know that he's writing from a place of incredible authority because he has seen all of these things take place. He has seen famine. He's seen poverty. He's seen persecution. And even in the midst of all of that, James was known as a peacemaker. He was known as someone who led with much wisdom and courage until the time that he was actually murdered. History tells us that they took him up to the pinnacle of the temple and threw him off and he fell to his death all because of his proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now when he writes this letter to the church, the Jewish church that was scattered abroad, his writing is heavily influenced by what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. So J James is taking these teachings and, and really it's all um, kind of summarized in love God with all your heart and love neighbor as yourself. And, and he's teaching from that standpoint on the, uh, the, the Sermon of the Mount. And, and he also is writing very similar in the style of Solomon, especially the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs about how to live your life. So it's something that is full of wisdom. It's something that's full of true wisdom. And, and, and in James chapter 1, this is really the introduction to the letter. Uh, we get into the meat of the letter next week, but, but it's in this chapter that he really asks us three questions on, on, on really how to measure or to test 
our spiritual health. How, how many of you know that the Lord desires you to be spiritually healthy? Let me, let me just see your hand if you know that. That's what the Lord desires. He desires for us to be spiritually healthy. And, and, and when I say spiritually healthy, what I'm talking about is that it is well with my soul, that my walk with God is strong, that I'm beginning to grow in my ways of living for God and so James gives us some questions that we can ask ourselves. And the, and the first one, which is going to cover my message today, uh, verses 2 through 12, is how do I deal with trials? How, how, do, I, how do I go through a trial? And, and what do I learn from a trial? The second thing that he asks us there is how do we deal with temptation? And we're all tempted, Amen. Everybody has temptations, and it's very important for us to be spiritually healthy and understand how we overcome the temptations that come our way. And then the third question is, how do I deal with truth? You remember that last part of chapter one where he talks about how a man looks in the mirror and then just turns away, not doing anything according to what he saw. His hair is messed up. He has sleep in his eyes, whatever it is. He turns away and completely forgets it. That's somebody that hears the word, but is not a doer of the word. I am thankful for the word of God. Amen. Anybody thankful for the word of God? I'm thankful, and I'm thankful that when it comes to me, the test is how do I respond to the Word of God? Many people take the Word of God and try to fit it into what they want it to say. Many people ignore the Word of God, but truthfully, we must deal with truth when it comes to us. We must look at truth and apply it to our life. So those are three powerful questions. How do I deal with trials? How do I deal with temptation? And how do I deal with the truth? I want to be spiritually healthy. And this is the beautiful thing about my pursuit of spiritual health. God provides that. God provides everything that I need to be healthy. Amen. Now, I know what it takes for me to be healthy in this life. I know that I have to have a sleep and I have to have a, a food that uh, nurtures my body, nutritious food. I have to make sure that I keep myself safe when I'm uh, mobile, when I'm moving. I, all of those things play into it, but I, I wonder how many of us really have an understanding on how to keep ourselves spiritually healthy also, spiritually walking with God. And, and this is what I'll tell you about people that are spiritually unhealthy. They normally fall into one of these three categories. First of all, they may just be a spiritually rebellious person. And a spiritually rebellious person is someone that just works against what God wants to do. They, they hear the truth, they reject it, and they actually become an enemy of the truth. They become an enemy of what the Word of God says. And unfortunately, we're seeing many people in the world that we live in today that are actively spiritually rebellious. They are doing everything they can to come against and to pull down the work of God. They're openly hostile towards the things of God and even us talking about Jesus Christ. Now, I wouldn't even imagine that this would be part of our life when, when I was a child and growing up and, and America was really more of a Christian nation, but the world we're living in now, the nation we're living in now, uh, we have been uh, classified as a non-Christian nation because there is so many people that don't follow the Lord and, and, and actually are spiritually rebellious. The second 
um, group of people are the spiritually dismissive people. They're, they're the people who, who, who know that they should do the right thing. They, they know that they should uh, uh, not think about uh, the things of this world. And, and yet uh, their focus and their priorities are so on the day, so on their living, so on their career, so on just what I can accomplish in this world that they actually dismiss the things of eternity and the importance of a spiritual life. And then the third group is somebody that is just spiritually backslidden. They're living in sin and they know they shouldn't live in sin. They're doing the things that they know they shouldn't do, but they just continue to live that way because sin is appealing. Sin is pleasurable for a season and they're only living for that season. So this is what I would say to us today. Life Church, listen to me. Let's be spiritually healthy. Amen? Someone said amen. I want to be spiritually healthy. And so one of the ways that I become spiritually healthy, according to the book of James, is I learn how to deal with my trials. And not only deal with them, and I, when I say deal with trials, sometimes we just grit our teeth and, and go through it. But what James is saying is that we need to joyfully go through these trials. Now, now I don't know that I particularly like this, because I've been through trials and it's hard to be joyful in the middle of a trial. And yet this, according to James, is a way that we can really measure how the work of God is taking place in our life when we can go through a trial and joyfully endure it, joyfully understand what's going on. I know it's a crazy proposition, folks, that I'm going through a trial and I'm going to be joyful when I go through the trial, now, now just give me a minute here to un, uh, for you to understand that. I'm not joyful about the trial. <laughs> I'm not joyful about the circumstances, but I can walk through the trial and I can walk with the, through the circumstances with joy in my heart. And how do I do that? I do it first of all because I learn to see God's purpose in my trial. Amen. I learned to see what God's wanting to do. And trials are certain. We've already said that. They come in all shapes. They come in all sizes. And, and, and joy is possible when I go through those things, when I recognize that while I may going, be going through something that's difficult, God has a purpose in that. Everybody say, God has a purpose. God has a purpose. Listen to this chapter, uh, this verse, and I know Nancy's already read it. Let's reread James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. My brethren, and he's also talking to the cistern. <laughs> he's talking to all of us. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. There's something that is taking place when I'm going through this trial. That my uh, Let's go back to verse number three for just a moment. My, my testing of my faith is producing something. All right, everybody say producing. It's producing patience. But let patience have its perfect work and that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Amen. 
Now, in that first verse that I read, verse 2, it says, count it all joy. Count. In other places, that is interpreted as consider it all joy. Let's talk about that for just a minute. Count it all joy. How, how do I count it all joy? Well, it means that I think and I regard what I'm going through. And I base it on the weight of comparing facts. I'm counting. I'm, I'm, I'm making a, a survey of what's going on. And, and although when I'm in the middle of a trial, there are powerful emotions. There have been times in my life when I've gone through a trial and it has been, so, it, it, it's, a, it's pulled such powerful emotions out of me. Uh, uh, emotions of anger. Has anybody ever been angry when you're going through a trial? The uh, uh, Emotions of of self-pity. Anybody ever felt self-pity when you're going through a trial? Uh, emotions of uh, anger and self-pity and sadness and, 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 and all of those things come with the emotions. It's inevitable when we go through a trial, but we cannot base what we are, how we're living for God based on the emotions that we feel. Amen. Because we have to consider the facts. We have to consider that when we get past the emotions of the moment that there is uh, something that is going on in our life and I start looking at that trial based on the biblical perspective of God, I don't know why I'm going through this, but as I'm going through it, I'm going to trust you because I want to learn what I need to learn to be spiritually healthy. Hey, hey. In all of the campuses, I want you to know something right now. This is just good preaching. I, I'm telling you, this is meat for you to chew on because we're all going to go through trials. And what James is doing is he's calling on Christians who are facing trials to consider their trials with joy. Not the trial itself being joyful, but because I'm going through this, I know that God has a purpose for me to go through this. And when I get to the other side of this trial, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to grow. I'm going to mature. I'm going to go forth because God is teaching me something. And I know that it's difficult to do, but let's just make up our mind that one of the ways that I can be joyful in a trial is I can see that God has a purpose for my life. How many of you believe that God has a purpose for your life? He has a purpose. He has a plan. And he has something that he wants to accomplish. And so it's very important for us to face those trials, understanding the purpose. Now, now, if James would have been the only one to say this in the Bible, we, we might look at it and say, okay, I, I, I get you, but it's still hard to do. But, but James wasn't the only one that said it. As a matter of fact, this is a theme of the Bible from the beginning to the end of people going through situations and when they trust God and when they grow, God brings them out of that trial. Let's just look at the words of uh, Peter in First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. He's basically saying what, uh, what James has already said. There's going to be times you're going to go through trials. There's going to be times you're going to be grieved. There's going to be situations, but we greatly rejoice anyway. Verse number seven says that your genuineness of your faith, that the genuineness of your faith 
being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That, that, that's talking about that spiritual health that I mentioned, that genuineness of our faith that is so strong that even when we go through a fire, our faith is much more precious than the things of this world, than the things that we have around us. And when the things that we have around us are tested by fire, we hold on to our faith. So we hear from James, we hear from Peter, Let's see what Paul has to say about it. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, he says this, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Now, it's not joyful tribulations, but it's glory in tribulations. Knowing, everybody say knowing. Tell your neighbor, say we're knowing something here today. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. There's something that's coming through this trial. There's something that's happening in my life. I'm learning to persevere. I'm learning to be strong. I'm learning to go through it. And this is what perseverance does. It brings about character. And what does character bring about in my life? It brings about hope. Verse 5, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we have three witnesses here in the James and Peter and Paul that going through trials is something that will teach us something. Going through trials is something that will produce something in us. Going through trials is something that will help us. And if you just need a biblical example of somebody that went through a trial, then the greatest example we could ever have is the example of Jesus Christ, who, according to what the Word of God says, endured the cross with joy for what was set before him. So in a moment that he has been rejected, deserted, beaten, falsely accused, hung on a cross to die. This is what Jesus does. He faces it with joy because he knows that even though I am experiencing pain and grief and sorrow, it doesn't mean that this is the end of the story. Amen. It doesn't mean that this is the end of the road. It means that I have a hope that what I'm doing on this cross will eventually bring millions to me and their sins will be washed away. Anybody thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. So the very first thing that I can do if I want to go through a trial, a joy, go joyfully through a trial, is I have to look at it and I have to see that God has a purpose. God has a purpose. The second reason that I can go through a trial joyfully is that when I'm going through a trial, I have permission to ask God for wisdom to handle the trial, and God will give me wisdom. God will give me the wisdom to navigate those difficult times in my life. God will give me the wisdom to go through the trials and the suffering and the pain and the whatever it is that comes my way. He will give me the wisdom that I need so that I can go through it. Listen, read on 
to see what James said there in that first chapter, starting in verse number five. If any of you lack wisdom, anybody here lack wisdom? Let me just see your hand. <laughs> I know that we may be smart in some things, but there is a spiritual wisdom that we all need. Amen? We need spiritual wisdom to face whatever may be coming our way. And this is what he says, if you lack wisdom, and I think we've already made the point here that we all lack wisdom, then the scripture says, let him ask of God. Let him ask, God, I need wisdom to go through this. And, and I know we use this scripture in many different ways, but in the context of what the scripture says, we're asking for wisdom because we're going through a trial. We're asking for wisdom because we're going through problems. We're asking for wisdom because we need to know how to navigate the difficult things that are going on in our life. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. In other words, he's not going to say, I can't believe you don't know this. I can't believe you're going through this. I, I thought you were smarter than this. God's not going to put reproach on you or blame on you. He's going to give you the wisdom because the last part of that verse says, and it will be given to him. Now, there is something that goes with this, and it's the next scripture where it says, but. That's a big but right in the middle of this passage of scripture because it means that there are some things that I have to do because I want wisdom in my life and so Paul, uh, James says, but let him ask in faith. Amen. Everybody say in faith. When I ask for wisdom, I ask in faith. In other words, I'm asking, letting the Lord know that my heart is going to follow the wisdom that he gives me without doubting. In other words, I don't ask and say, well, I don't know if God's going to come through. I don't know if God's going to give me good wisdom. <laughs> I don't know if he's really going to be able to understand my circumstances, my situation. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by men. You know how the sea is. Anybody ever been out on the sea? I'm going to tell you a, a very, very romantic story. And you guys, if you want to use it, it's fine. On my honeymoon, I took my wife deep sea fishing. What was I thinking? i tell you what I was thinking. I was young, and I was dumb, and I didn't have a lot of money. And we went deep sea fishing. And do you know what happened while we were deep sea fishing on our honeymoon? The waves started rolling. Now, Nancy and I didn't get sick. But there were plenty that were on the boat with us that were sick. Needless to say, it's been a great memory, but it's not something that we've ever wanted to do again. Because when the waves start rolling, it tosses you to and fro. Now, when it's talking about this tossing to and fro, the tossing of the wind, it's again in context talking about somebody that is asking for wisdom but as they're asking, they're already doubting if God can help them. Already doubting that God will give them the wisdom that they need. I've just got to tell you something right here. I want you to know this, that when God answers, His answers are good. His answers are wise. And His answers are what I need for my life. Somebody said, Amen. 
Has anybody ever had God give you wisdom in the trial and it was just what you needed? That's what it is here. He goes on to say in verse number seven, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. I mean, think about it. When somebody comes up for you and asks for something and they're wishy-washy, if they'll even use it, hey, can I borrow your boat? I'm, I don't know if I'll need it. I don't know if I'll take it. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, but, but, you know, if you'll go ahead and let me have it, I, I don't know if I'm going to use it or not. Or, you know, we're not going to let them use our boat. Uh, by the way, I don't have a boat. Just using that as an example. Let me use your car. I don't think I'm going to use it. I don't know for sure if I'm going to use it. I, I don't really like that model, and, and, and really it doesn't look good. It's not flashy enough, but, but can I have it? That's a double-minded man. They're asking for something that they're not willing to receive, and, and that's what the Lord is talking about here. When that person asks of the Lord for wisdom, saying, I don't know that I'm going to use it, guess what's going to happen? The Lord's not going to give them wisdom. The Lord's not going to provide the wisdom because he sees their heart is already doubt, doubting him. Verse 8 wraps it up. He says, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In times of difficulty, we know we need the wisdom of God. We know it's easy to feel lost and unprepared. And, and I'm thankful that God doesn't leave us alone during those times. I'm, I'm thankful that he's generous and he's gracious to give us wisdom when we ask those things of him. He's ready, he's willing to give them, but we must believe. Does anybody believe that God is good? In, in all the campuses, anybody believe that God is good? Come on, let's, let's really respond to that question. That's part of the faith the rock that I stand on, that my God is a good God, that, that every good and perfect gift comes down from Him and there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In other words, it, it doesn't come in degrees. God never has a day where He says, man, I can only give you 25% today. That's all I've got in my tank. God's always full and He's always giving us good gifts and we must trust Him that we, when we hear that He will, uh, uh, the, the wisdom that He gives us will meet the needs that we have. I, I can ask God for wisdom in, in any manner of life that we face, but, but I have to be focused on asking God for wisdom because I need that wisdom to go through the trial joyfully, knowing that I have a way through it, knowing that I have a way out, knowing that I can comprehend what is going on in my life. You, you, you see, we need to see ourselves in need of wisdom. We need to see ourselves that I need the wisdom of God. Will you just say it with me? I need the wisdom of God. Because if you have a bad spark plug, then you may can use the wisdom that you find in the owner's manual. That's okay. If you, if you have a, a something wrong with your, your house, you may use the wisdom of, of somebody that puts roofs on house or side or whatever it is. Somebody that comes out and repairs your refrigerator, you can trust their wisdom. But there's one place that you have to have God's wisdom, and that's when it's dealing with the spiritual aspect of your soul. I cannot figure that out on my own. I don't have the capability of understanding how to navigate those trials that are spiritual without the wisdom of God. Amen. 
And I know that there's a lot of people that are self-sufficient, self-made, self-starters, but a self-sufficient attitude will not get you anywhere when the trial that you're going through is a spiritual trial that God is bringing into your life to grow you. I have to have God. I have to have His wisdom. And I must humbly come before him and ask him to give me the wisdom that I need to grow into the person that he wants me to be. And he will gladly and generously give me the wisdom that I seek. Amen. So what does that wisdom look like? What, What does the wisdom of God look like? Well, James, as part of the theme of this letter, continues to talk about it, and he speaks about it in James chapter 3 and 17. He said, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Everybody say pure. God's not going to give you wisdom on how to cheat on your taxes. God's not going to give you wisdom on how to cheat on your wife. God's not going to give you wisdom on how to pull a scam on somebody. You can't pull a scam on somebody and say, oh, thank you, Lord, for giving me the wisdom. That's not wisdom from God. Wisdom from God is, first of all, say it with me, pure. It's pure. It's then peaceable. Lord, thank you for giving me the wisdom to karate chop that guy across the neck. No. Or as Nancy would say, no, 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 no. God doesn't give us the wisdom to use violence. It's peaceable. It's gentle. Look at that next phrase. It's open to reason. In other words, as God deals with us, it's not that he doesn't want us to ask questions. He's open to us reasoning with him as long as we have faith that he's going to lead us into the place where we need to go. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. Oh, I love that. I love that I can look at something that I have in my heart that I think that is from God, and I can look at this list and say, well, is it pure? Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Is it, is it something that is, is the wisdom of God? It is impartial. I, I love those questions. And I think that if you're taking notes, you could just jot some of these questions down. When, I'm, when I have questions, when I'm faced with a decision and the answer comes to me, is it something that is pure? Is it something that is peaceable? Is it gentle? This is what my dad told me years ago. I've never forgotten it. He said, son, when you're praying for the will of God, There's many times that you don't get an audible voice. There's many times that you don't have a clear voice that tells you what to do. But God speaks to our heart through peace. So if you're praying about something and praying about a decision and the Spirit of the Lord is moving and you feel peace in your heart to take that next step, that is the will of God. And it goes right here with James chapter 3 and verse 17. Is it full of peace? Is it peaceable? Is it, is it gentle? Will, will it bring good fruit? Amen. <laughs> is this decision and going through this trial, is it going to bring good fruit or, or is it going to be where I'm slashing and I'm burning and I'm trying to get out of this situation so that when I look back, I've left a scorched earth behind me. I've, I've left destruction behind me. 
I've had people come and tell me, well, I've prayed about it, and this is what God wants me to do. He wants me to leave them. He wants me to cut this off. He wants me to divorce. He wants me to move on. And I'm looking at it, and I'm seeing the destruction that is left behind, and I'm wondering, what God are you talking to? Because that's not what God says. God's not for those things. Does it bring good fruit, or can good come out of it? Ask God for wisdom in faith, not doubting. I've already covered that. I already talked about that. Let me just tell you one couple more things about the person with the double heart. He, his heart is not fully surrendered to do God's will. I want a heart that completely is surrendered. Amen. Amen. Somebody said amen. A heart that is completely surrendered to do God's will. I, I, I want to be, have a heart that is curious about what God wants to accomplish in my life. I, I want to be uh, someone that is, that is curious to hear what God has to say. Not someone that just wants to find out if God agrees with what I think. I, I know a lot of people, myself included, I have been caught in the trap of praying, not your will be done, Lord, but my will be done. And in case you don't know, that's backwards. What it really should be is your will be done, not my will be done. But some people are so set on the outcome being the way they want it that they'll pray and they'll pray and they'll pray trying to get God to agree with them that their way is the best way. When the truth of it is, I can't pray and ask God for wisdom if all I'm trying to do is convince him that my way is best. I have to make sure that I'm not double-minded and I will receive the wisdom of God. Last point. Everybody say last point. If I am going to joyfully go through trials, I have to keep my eyes on eternity. Will you just say that with me? Keep my eyes on eternity. Will you say it with me one more time? Keep my eyes on eternity. I'm going to tell you why that's important. It's important because we are distracted by the things that are around us. We are distracted by the things of life. Let, let me read this passage of Scripture, and it, it, it's a little bit, um, as it fits into the English language, it's a little bit difficult for us to understand how it flows, and I, I'm going to give my best attempt to describe what the, uh, what the uh, this, uh, Apostle James is saying here. He starts in verse number nine and he says, let the lowly brother exalt, uh, uh, let the lowly brother exalt, um, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. Now, I, I'm just going to read here and then I'll come back and talk about it. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat that it withers to the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Now, a lot of people read this and think that what James is doing here is taking shots at rich people. That's not what he's doing here, because he's talking about something that is beyond the things of this world. He's talking about the things of eternity, and there are sometimes, regardless of the achievements of our life, that, that we're going to face at times exaltation or we're going to face times where we don't have anything. And, and if you're a person that is, that is uh, uh, in poverty, you're a person that doesn't have much, 
if there would be something that would come along that would bless you, that, that would lift you up out of that place or be a financial blessing, that's not the time for you to say, man, now I've got it made. That's the time for you to say, even though the Lord is blessing me, I will keep my eyes on eternity. I don't know how many of you have ever seen this show, but it's a show about how people that won the lottery and it ruined their life. I know what you're saying. Lord, ruin my life this week, Lord. <laughs> but it's really amazing how many people have ended up with millions of dollars and they have completely destroyed their life. They've, they, they, they've alienated people around them. I, I want to be blessed. And I know everybody in this room wants to be blessed. But in my blessings, I don't forget who I am and where I'm going. And I want to make heaven my home. I want to make heaven my home. You see, the real emphasis of this pas passage is just to keep a proper perspective on life. So if you're going through a trial and you're wondering what's going on, regardless of your lack of wealth or your wealth, regardless of the things that are good or the things that are bad, what James is saying is I must maintain my faith in God, not my faith in the dollar, not my faith in the banks, not my faith in my ability. I maintain my faith in God and I keep my eyes on eternity. The, the, the lowly or poor brother can rejoice in his exaltation. He, he needs to rejoice in his position in Christ. I, I, I want to rejoice. That's, that's the place that I should be rejoicing is that I know who Jesus is. Anybody thankful that you know who Jesus is? That I walk with him, that he talks with me, uh, that, that he loves me. I, I, I'm thankful that while I may not be rich in this world, I have been elevated in Christ Jesus. I have been taken to a place where I can sit in a heavenly realm with Him and, and that I belong to Him and that I walk with Him. And listen to me, that one day I will spend eternity with Him. Let, let the world think what it may think. I know the truth and my assurance is in Jesus Christ. Will you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Uh, I'd like for you to... Stand, and I'd like uh, over all of the campuses as I finish up here. I want you to stand, and uh, I'm going to invite the prayer team at all of the campuses and the worship teams to come. Um, has anybody ever purchased a new car? Let me just see your hands. Everybody that's purchased a new car, you know what happens the moment you drive it off of the parking lot. Starts growing old. Has ever, anybody ever had a car that you were happy about only six years later to say, I've got to get rid of this piece of junk? Sure. We've done that. Cars and houses and clothes and material things. This is, this is what I want to tell you. Everything that we have that is material 
is going to decay. It's going to wear out. It's going to run out. Life is brief. Now, when I was younger, I didn't really have a full understanding of that. But the older I get, I understand how quick my life has gone. I, I look at my life and I realize it's brief. I, I, uh, we, we had the funeral service for an incredible lady last night, uh, Sister Marjorie Howe, who's been a member of this church for, well, as, I, since 1967. Love that lady. What a prayer warrior. What a woman of faith. And uh, you know what? If, if you could talk to her, this is what she said. I can't believe how quickly my life went. 92 years old. That, that's the way it happens. It, it, it go, the Bible says it's like a vapor. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. And, and one day, this life will be over. And one day, it's only our relationship with Jesus that will determine eternity. So I want to keep my eyes on eternity. This is the beautiful thing about it. When I say that, do you know what I have in my heart? I have hope. And the hope comes because I know who Jesus is. It's not a black void or vortex that I'm wondering how am I going to handle it when this life is over. I know who holds me and who has me in His hand. I know the God of eternity. And if I'm going to keep my eyes on eternity, this is the first thing I have to do. I have to meditate on the Word of God. And I have to look at the promises that God has given us. And I have to believe those promises. And I have to live those promises. I know you remember when you went to school and you received textbooks. How many of you remember those textbooks? You had to lug them around. I don't know if you have textbooks now, to tell you the truth. But when I was in school, we had textbooks. We had math books, English books, all that. And we had backpacks, lockers, all that. I'd carry them around. You know what those books were? Those were books of information. And I read them for the information that they would give me. But they weren't precious to me. They were only a source of of information. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is God's holy word. And the Bible is transformational. It's not informational. It's transformational. And so if I really want to go through trials joyfully, I've got to really meditate on those promises that the Lord made me. I I love the promise that He will never leave me nor forsake me. I, I love the promises that He will be closer than a brother. I I love the promises of His protection. And that is what I do when I want to remember eternity is I meditate on those promises. I call God's truth to my mind. I keep my eyes on Him. But not only do I do that, if I really want to keep my eyes on eternity, then every day I lay up treasures in heaven. That's where my affection is. 
instead of chasing the empty passions of this world, and I've said it before, and my dad said it for many years, you've never seen a person that has died that is going to the cemetery in their hearse or or, or limousine with a U-Haul behind it. You can't take it with you. You can't. uh, And so much of our life is consumed in chasing those things. We've got to live. We've got to make a living. I want you to be successful. I want you to prosper. But I want you to understand that the most important thing is to store up in heaven those things that are precious because it's the things that in heaven that will last for eternity. It's the things in heaven that will last. Then the last thing that I'll say today, if I really want to keep my eyes on eternity, if I really want to go joyfully through the trials, then I walk by faith and not by sight. I don't get so caught up in my problems that my eyes are always down at the situation that I'm in, but I lift my head up to the hills from which cometh my help, and I live by faith and not by sight. Why do I have to live by faith? I want to know. I'll tell you why. Because our understanding and our knowledge is limited. And I can become so fixated upon the trial that I'm in and the trouble that I'm going through that I ignore the fact that my God is the Redeemer and that He has overcome the world. And because He has overcome, I can overcome also. And I just wonder here as I close, I hope I didn't preach too long, just checking the clock. And uh, I'm fine, perfectly fine. I didn't preach too long. Regardless of what you say, I didn't preach too long. And I just wonder here, at the end of our services, all of our campuses, if it was possible for the next few minutes for us to shut off the walking by sight and turn to full volume the walking by faith and really look into the eyes of the Lord and understand how much He loves us today and how He will see us through.